welcome to Player Missile, a retrospective of the Atari 8-bit home computer systems, the magazines that covered them, and a somewhat chronological review of games as they arrived on the platform. I'm Rob McMullen, and in this inaugural episode, I'll get all the introductory stuff out of the way and talk about my background related to the Atari 8-bit systems. Then I'll discuss my concept for the show and set the stage for subsequent episodes where I'll actually talk about the magazines and games. So grab your 400, 800, XL, XE, or your favorite emulator, and let's go! Episode Zero of Player Missile, a podcast about Atari 8-bit systems. Episode Zero, showing my geek cards early. But uh, it's designed to be an introductory episode, so I'm going to just get into my background and the format of the podcast. And then the real stuff of the podcast will start with Episode 1. So there is one other podcast that I know of that focuses on the Atari 8-bit systems, and uh, it's great. It's called Antic. And if you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to catch up on all those episodes. I see this as a complimentary podcast to Antic, not competing with it. I'm not going to be covering current news or current events, and so I want to refer you there to Antic for that stuff. So this is going to be a, a, a more of a niche podcast. I'm going to focus on games and magazines for the systems. Uh, Antic was the first podcast that I listened to, and when I first started listening, they were on episode 5 or something, and, and I burned through their episodes pretty quickly and wanted more. Through them, I discovered uh, No Quarter with Mike McGinnis and Carrington Vanston, which is a great podcast about classic arcade games, uh, mostly the era before like 1990, which is right up my alley. And I burned through all those. And through them, I learned of You Don't Know Flack by Rob O'Hara, which is uh, about a lot of things, but mostly retro computing. And he's a Commodore 64 guy, and that's okay. You know, we're all friends here. It's a safe space. But specifically, he did an episode about podcasting a podcast about podcasting. The big takeaway I got from that was that doing your own podcast was possible. You didn't need a ton of equipment, just an idea. So he got other podcasters to share their thoughts, and the common theme was, do the podcast you wish someone else was doing. So here it is. This is the podcast I wish someone else was doing. So my shtick is going to be attempting to chronologically cover important or significant games for the 8-bit, or for some definition of important or significant. But the reason I want to look at games mostly chronologically is that I think it would be interesting to see how uh, developers expanded the capabilities of the platform as, as time went on. The problem really is the sort of granularity of the release dates seems to be lost to time. All the Atari 8-bit game archives that I'm using, uh, like Atari Mania, Atari 8-bit Forever, they only list publication year and not month. So I'm going to try to use references I find in magazines in order to find release dates with sort of a better precision. You know, and maybe this approach will be useful, and maybe it won't. Maybe there won't be enough reviews or references to figure out where or what came before what. Um, You know, I I may have to abandon that approach at some point. But, uh, you know, it's a lot of maybes. 
But for now, it gives me an excuse to discuss the old retro magazines as well, which is just a blast. You know, maybe there's another way to do it. Maybe my Google Foo isn't strong enough to turn up anything, any references with more details. Maybe you, the listener, have some ideas about it. And if so, I'd love to hear it. So if you found this podcast and weren't an Atari owner, that is totally awesome. I will be including hopefully enough background info for a fan of any classic system to be interested. Also, if you weren't an Atari owner and you don't know what the title of this podcast refers to, it's the Atari term for sprite graphics. And sprite graphics are like the little little hardware-assisted two-dimensional drawing routines that, in the case of the Atari, had uh, collision detection built in. I'll get into some more of the technical details in the next episode. So the Atari computers themselves are released in three styles. The original, or sort of the classic design, released in, in 1979. Then the black and silver XL series was in 1983. And then the gray XE series, sort of styled like the Atari ST, came out in 85. And the XEs remained in production well into the 90s, but by that time uh, mostly concentrated in Eastern Europe. I love the Atari 8-bits in a way I don't love other systems. You know, for one, it's the first computer, and you always remember your first. As machines move forward and got more generic, you more commoditized, if that's a word. You know, the commodity hardware, beige boxes, blah, blah, blah. The OSs went from having a personality linked to the hardware to hardware agnostic. Yeah, which has its benefits, but I think that growing up with the diversity in hardware was a, it was a very fortunate experience. You really got to bond with your computer. You know, the kids today with the supercomputers in their pockets, do they appreciate that? You know, the first job I had in the early 90s was programming an IBM RS6000, which I think was like 50 entire megahertz or something. Huge 64 megabytes of memory, which is a really screaming system at the time. You know, I had it on my desk. At the university, they had a Cray YMP, which I never got time on, but it was probably two orders of magnitude faster. And then you think about the ARM chips in your smartphone, that's like an order of magnitude faster than the Cray YMP. You know, the Cray cost 20 million bucks in 1990. It's, it's just amazing the technical progress we've made. A supercomputer on your phone that draws a single watt of power and runs circles around a, a closet-sized supercomputer. But it was a special time back then. You, you know, I really felt that if someone worked hard enough, you could know everything about the 8-bit system. You could hold it all in your head, the memory map, the assembly language, syntax. Uh, it wasn't so complicated then. There was no CPU cache. There's no super scalar pipeline buzzword, buzzword stuff. It seemed like a dedicated person could have understood the whole thing. And when you look at the teams that designed the, su- the computers, they were small. There's an excellently huge book called Atari Inc. Business is Fun by Kurt Vandell and Marty Goldberg. And they have a great detailed summary of Atari from the early days, you know, Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney, through the buyout of Jack Trammell and the split into Atari Corp. They have a, a great section in there about the development of the 8-bit computers. And it's just a handful of guys. It's uh, names like Joe DeCure, Jay Miner, Doug Neubauer, George McLeod on the hardware. And then the OS was developed by a group that included the uh, same guys that split off to go form Activision. Alan Miller, Larry Kaplan, Bob Whitehead, and David Crane. There's something about the simplicity of these 8-bit systems that's still appealing, you know, even though the, nowadays the graphics and processing power are you know, a thousand times faster. 
but that the system that could be designed by a group of, you know, say a dozen people is really foreign to the, anything developed today. Well, that brings me to the goals of the podcast. First, I guess the primary goal is really to find games that I can introduce to my kids and to show them how their dad spent his childhood. <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm going to look for games or, you know, like kid games or edutainment or anything. Because, you know, let's face it, it's really the rare educational game that's a classic. I just mean to look at games that are representative of the era and are fun. And look back at the games that I played as a kid. Maybe find some great games I missed. I do like programming, so I might include some technical topics and some technical discussion of game programming, but I don't think that's not going to be the focus. So my second goal, as this is a one-host podcast, is I'm going to be using it to practice my public speaking. I have to give a talk at a conference in a few months, and I'm, I'm imagining that this is a replacement for Toastmasters meetings. The third goal is to look back at old classic magazines. It's hard to describe how much fun it was to read those magazines when they came out. You know, seeing what was out there, what was coming up, uh, even the type-in program listings. There was, obviously, there's no internet back then, so you'd have to wait a month between each issue, and it really would build up, and you'd get excited about getting these new magazines. I'm also curious to track prices of the Atari and competing systems as they were advertised in the magazines. And, of course, I'm going to be looking for the game reviews so I can see if I can figure out what game came before what. So the fourth goal of the podcast is to do all the the game reviews chronologically, or mostly chronologically. So after doing research for a month now, it seems like it's going to be tough to be totally accurate about what comes before what. And, you know, maybe I'll have to give up on some of the precision and just go by year at some point. But for now, I definitely will try to find out the month of the release. Uh, fifth goal is to find games that can be played on a main cabinet. So I'm, I am building a main cabinet to play arcade games and Atari games, both uh, in an emulator. So I'll be giving games extra bonus points if they don't require keyboard control. Uh, if you've never heard of MAME, it's the Multiple Arcade Machine Emulator. Or it's a way to play uh, old classic games like Asteroids, Missile Command, Tempest, stuff like that. The actual games on your computer. So building a cabinet to contain a monitor and real arcade controls is definitely a goal of mine. And for me, I'm going to actually use a Raspberry Pi, which is a very small ARM processor. But it has enough power to play all these old arcade games. So I will be mostly looking for arcade games, but I'm certainly not going to steer clear of strategy games or, or more complicated games. So what the podcast won't be about, it won't be about collecting or current events. I'm not a collector. I don't really have that much interest in collecting hardware. Since I'm going to be playing most of my games on an emulator anyway, I don't really have a need to have the original software. There are a bunch of other great podcasts for collecting or current events. Like for the Ataris, it's Antic. The, they focus on Atari news, current hardware, old hardware. The Retro Computing Roundtable is more of a general interest uh, current events and collecting podcast. They cover a bunch of different platforms and they keep up with the news. And another podcast is Ferg's 2600 Game by Game podcast, which I'm actually taking a lot of cues from. So things I'm on the fence about, uh, interviews. I eventually think I would like to do some interviews with some of the game authors or magazine authors if I can ever track them down. At this point, I'll, we'll see if I can ever make the connections to do any interviews. You know, people I'd love to talk to are folks like Tom Hudson, Brian Moriarty, guys like that from Analog, or game programmers like Randy Glover, Bill Hogue, Catherine Mataga. 
You know, there's a ton of names I remember who I'd like to find out more about. We'll see as the podcast develops, if I can get any contacts. So my background, I'm a total unknown in the retro community. I can, uh, I'm, of course, I've been to Atari Asian. I think I posted like once. So I am on the periphery of the retro scene. You know, I certainly love my Atari, but I've not really gotten to do much with it until now. I'm just kind of getting the bug again. I am a bit of a coder, so I do like the te- technical topics, and I will try to get into some of that technical stuff when I can find it. But I also try to keep the technical bits short and more of an overview level because I know I'm targeting a gaming podcast, not really a technical podcast. So I grew up with Ataris. Um, I'm not an expert on Atari history by any means, or I'm definitely not an expert game player. So any high scores I post, I'm sure will be stomped and laughed at on the Atari Age High Score Club. You know, growing up, I didn't. I got to know a lot about the Atari. I got my first Atari when I was middle school, I think 1983. I learned how to program on it, and you know, through the years, I did learn a ton of stuff about the 6502, just the 8-bit memory map, and you know, tons of stuff are still stuck in my head for whatever reason. That on the Atari Track 20 of a floppy disk contains the directory, four players and four missiles, and player missile graphics. But then you can combine the four missiles to form a fifth player. And then there's stuff like, why do I remember that Antic Mode 14 is the uh, the 160 by 192 four-color mode, and that Page 6 is the place to store your little assembly language routines that won't get overwritten by BASIC? It seems like a dedicated person could really learn all, the, all there was to know about the Atari 8-bit. You know, it's probably not true, but it seemed like it was, you know, especially compared to today's machines. So the very first computer I ever saw was a Commodore PET. Um... I remember that my dad took me to the university computer lab, and I remember this space age, sort of right out of 2001, kind of angular, all metal. I think it was one of the ones with the regular keyboard, not the chiclet keys. So this was probably about 80 or 81, and you know, I read about it, I was, like, I was very excited. I, I learned it didn't really have a graphics mode, just so just character set graphics, but at the time I was so enamored with getting a computer, I was like, oh, I could, I could make this do whatever I wanted to. So as I was trying to convince my family to get a computer, I started buying a couple books, and I remember I got the book uh, More Basic Computer Games. I think it was by David All. I think it was the uh, I think it was the Creative Computing series of books. So I had this book, and I was reading through it, and I didn't have a computer, so I was trying to f- figure out how to learn basic without, without having com- computer access. And finally, we got some Apple IIs at school. I think they were Apple II Pluses, because they were the, the all uppercase, and it was shouting all the time. We also had some, the black Bell and Howell clones, the black cased clones, which I guess are pretty rare nowadays, but of course we didn't think about any of that back then. I remember there were these programs to do lowercase using the high-res graphics mode of the Apple II. We thought that was, you know, amazing, just to have the upper and lowercase together. So I really remember wanting an Apple II, but wow, were they expensive. So I was finally talking to my parents trying to get them to buy a computer. I remember sort of narrowing my list down to an Apple II, a TI-99 4A, and the Ataris. And I remember I was like set on the TI-99 4A for some reason. I, I thought that was the way to go. I think it must have been that we couldn't get the TI-99 4As where I was, and we happened to we happened to go to a little hobby store that sold computers, and they had the Ataris, and they had all the Ataris laid out, and software, so this is a local thing, so 
my first computer was a 1200 XL with a tape drive. And I had some cartridge games to start out with, and a couple of cassette games, but those tapes were just too painful. So eventually I called in some favors with my parents, and we got a track disk drive, which was cool because it had an LED indicator of the track number. So that's where I sort of learned that it spent the disk spent a lot of time on track 20, because that's where the directory sectors were. So later I ended up picking up an Atari 800 with an Omnimon card, which was a great help, because you could break into the assembly language routines, you could stop a program and and figure out what it was doing. So I, so I, I had cracked a few games that way where I could take, remove the copy protection. I was never like a super cracker or anything. I never created a handle. I never really distributed games with like a title or something. But it, to me, it was just a fun intellectual challenge. So, you know, I, I removed the copy protection on, on, you know, a handful of games and I, there may be some stories to tell later on in uh, subsequent issues of the podcast. But, you know, of course, ultimately piracy killed the software market for the Atari. As a kid, you don't really think about that. You don't think about the consequences when you trade games with other kids and you say, well, I don't have enough money to buy this software. I wouldn't have bought it anyway, so you know the company won't be hurt if I don't pay for these. Which is, you know, it's pretty amazing circular logic. But to me, as an early teenager, it didn't seem to be much of a leap, and I never really connected that the developers had invested a lot of time in writing these and deserved to get paid. You know, somebody who writes software professionally now, I it's easy to see that that was a mistake. Looking back through through adult eyes is much different. Of course, of course, again, the games I'll eventually be talking about in this podcast, I probably didn't buy. And just because I'm, I'm sure there'll be ones I didn't play. Nowadays, the EXEs are, are available on the internet, and I'll be using those, and we'll probably put links to those in the show notes as I as I get to them. You know, now I can sort of rationalize that I'm doing a service and recording this for posterity, and you know that's what I'll be telling myself. So I do hope the authors nowadays don't mind. So I never did any serious development on the Atari or ever got anything published. Uh, the biggest thing I wrote was a hex editor that also did disassembly so I could <laughs> better crack copy protection. Yeah, and like I said, some other episode I'll maybe talk about the primitive techniques I used to, to remove the copy protection, but I bet there's some listeners who are a lot more advanced than me. I actually did find the program. I got a I got my old stack of disks out and got an FC5025, which is an interface card for modern computers to hook up a five and a quarter inch floppy drive. And so I found that old disk and it loaded up amazingly. And I looked at my old code and wow, it's uh, interesting to see a program that you wrote 30 years ago. Not much programming style back then. Of course, really basic didn't lend itself to structured programming or even very stylistic programming. But it's still interesting to see stuff that you wrote back then. So in terms of games I played on the 8-bit, I tended to like the arcade style games. Uh, my all-time favorite game, actually on any platform anywhere, is Jumpman by Randy Glover. Just a great game with tons of levels and great music, controls, theme, everything. I'm really looking forward to that episode. That's like a 1983 game, so that's probably going to be a while. Some of my other favorites are Ballblazer, Boulder Dash, Mule, of course, Miner, 2049er, Hardball. There's a lot of games I remember, and I'm looking forward to reviewing those again. I'm also looking forward to finding games that I missed. So if you have any suggestions, I would definitely be interested in hearing about that. So as I mentioned before, I'm going to be playing primarily on an emulator, partly because my goal is to find stuff that I can play in my main cabinet, but another reason is that my real hardware isn't very stable. My 1200 is actually toast, and my 800 seems to be really twitchy. If I touch it wrong, it just freezes and locks up. 
So there are a bunch of different emulators. I use primarily Atari 800 because it's cross-platform. And on the main machine, I'll be running a Raspberry Pi, running a Linux distribution. For Windows, there's a good emulator called Altera. And there's another emulator called Mess that's multi-platform. But that was always, I've always had a hard time trying to set that up. And I think Mess is, it's a sister project to MAME. And their goal is more exact emulation rather than speed. So they're not doing any trade-offs at all for speed, it seems like. So for each episode of the podcast, my plan is to go over the available magazines for that month and talk about any interesting articles in them, the game reviews, or maybe t- interesting technical details. I might talk about any type-in games or their authors, or certainly if they review any games, I'll talk about those games. And then I'll try to figure out what interesting games were released or made available around that time and do my own review of one of those games. For the early going, there just weren't that many magazines released on a particular month, so I'll probably consolidate and cover like several months at a time. And in fact, the first episode will probably cover all of 1979. And then for 1980, I'll probably spread it over two or three episodes, and then maybe I'll know enough to start covering uh, 1981 by individual months. I don't know, I'll play it by ear, we'll see how it goes. So the format of each podcast episode is going to be... So first, I'll probably discuss any feedback that I receive. So after that, I'll list the magazines that came out during the time, and for each of those, I'll highlight uh, any interesting articles, any articles that, in hindsight, are either you know, really prescient or either memorably wrong. I'll highlight all the game reviews that they have in the magazine. And then I want to look at all the prices of all the systems that are available at the time. So I'm, I'm curious to see how the cost of the systems change over time. And I'd also like to compare the compare the competing systems at the time, like the Apple II, the Commodore 64. Maybe the prices of the disk drives as well. And I'll convert them all to 2014 US dollars and we'll track those over time and see how that changes. Then the next section of the podcast will be my own game review, where I'll choose some game that came out during that time and try to find out the background of the company and the author, summarize the instructions, describe any technical details I can discover, like the language, uh, the graphics mode it uses, and I'll describe the gameplay, then my memories of the game if I played it as a kid. Then I'll attempt to play it during the time and see what my high score is. And as a spoiler, I'm probably going to suck. And to even make it more interesting, I'll compare my high scores to the Atari Age 8-Bit High Score Club and just see how poorly I do in comparison. And the final section of the podcast is that I'll announce the game that I'll review for the following podcast to allow you to send in your high score or send in any memories memories of the game or information you might have about the game or the author. So you'll probably notice there's a bunch of similarities between this podcast and some of the other podcasts that I've mentioned. You know, the month-by-month idea straight out of the Atari 2600 game-by-game podcast. He's going game-by-game, but there's really... There's no way to do that on the Atari 8-bit systems. The game review idea is sort of a combination of Sprite Castle, which is Rob O'Hara's Commodore 64 game review podcast, and No Quarter, which is Carrington Vanston and Mike McGinnis' podcast about classic arcade games. So I love all those podcasts, but there wasn't about there wasn't one about the Atari 8-bit games, and I wish there was one. And that was really the best advice I got about making a podcast: is do the podcast you wish somebody else was doing. So this is a one-host podcast because I really want to practice my public speaking. 
So Rob O'Hara had his podcast about podcasting, and one of his guest hosts, Carrington Vanston, said that if you do a co-hosted show, you're really prepping for a 30-minute conversation. But if you go it alone, you're prepping for a 30-minute speech. And that's actually great, because that's what I want, at least for now. Uh, multi-host podcasts do seem like fun, and some of you I will do one of those someday, but for now it's just me. I'm sort of using this as a replacement for Toastmasters meetings. Toastmasters is a great organization, and I really can't plug them enough. I uh, also have to shout out to the West Austin 2 Toastmasters, where I got my CTM years and years ago. And I could find a group now and you know go there and drive and attend meetings and meet great people and all the fun stuff you get to do at Toastmasters, but I'm sure they would get tired of me only creating speeches about the Atari. So I think this podcast is a better outlet for my Atari speechifying. So one thing I learned at Toastmasters was that I speak at about 120 to 140 words a minute, which is pretty fast. So for, for a five to seven minute speech, I'd write about a thousand words. So for a half hour podcast, it's about four to 5,000 words. And my goal is to not write out the podcast, but just use an outline. And back in Toastmasters, I used to write out my speeches and rehearse, you know, 20 or 30 times because I was terrible at memorizing. But that's not my goal here. I'm, I'm really going for something less formal and more colloquial. So my goal is to write my outline, go over it once or twice, and then record. So I'm not going for off-the-cuff speaking like, like table topics at Toastmasters, but I'm not going for totally scripted either. So I'm looking to do this really as a practice for a, a presentation at a conference. So to do it like you'd have a PowerPoint presentation where you use the bullet points on the PowerPoint slide as your talking points, and then try to supply the, the connective glue phrases between the bullet points without reading from the slides. So uh, you know, this analogy sort of breaks down because there aren't any PowerPoint slides attached to the podcast, and you can't see my notes. But sort of for my own purposes, that's my goal. But I digress. So as I go, I'll be maintaining a timeline as I discover the various dates of things as they get released. I've got a start of that over on the website at playermissile.com. Also on the website is a list of magazines that cover the Atari 8-bits. I've broken them out into the North American and UK magazines, and there are 8-bit magazines in other languages, but I didn't include those because I unfortunately only speak English. I also may publish the notes that I use that I'm referring to when I do the auto-recording of the podcast. That may not be interesting to anybody, although I, I don't know. We'll see. So for the first real episode, for episode one, I'll be looking at 1979 and the Creative Computing Magazines starting in April of 79. And the, also the first Compute Magazine was released in October. I've got a big list of the magazines up on the website, so you can check out the links to those uh, PDFs. So the reason I'm starting in 1979 was, of course, the 800 was released that year, and the first game I'll cover is Star Raiders, which is an all-time classic game, and some say the killer app for the 8-bits, although, of course, that term didn't exist back then. So if you have any stories about Star Raiders that you'd like to share, uh, let me know. So I'm looking forward to doing this podcast. Uh, I, intend to, I intend to try to do two episodes a month, but at this point I'm not promising that. I'm totally in awe of Ferg at the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, who's doing one episode a week, and not only that, but multiple games a week. I don't think I'm going to be able to do them that quickly. Another inspiration is the No Quarter podcast. They're a weekly podcast, and they haven't missed a week in 90-some weeks. So until next time, send me any stories you have about Star Raiders. Or if you have any comments about the show, or Atari 8-bit gaming, or classic magazines, please feel free to send me an email at feedback at playermissile.com, 
or on Twitter at Atari8BitGames. Special thanks to Rob O'Hara for his podcast about podcasting, which really encouraged me to do this podcast. To Randy Kindig of Antic, the Atari 8-Bit podcast, for his encouragement over email. And also to Abixvitaz for the use of the theme song Odin's Atari as the theme for this podcast. See you next episode.